Hello, and welcome to an unexpected podcast. My name is Tim, and with me as always, we have Nick, Matt, and Rainier. Uh, on this week's episode, we're going to be going over kind of a different list from uh, Butcher This Name, but I'm going to go with Dithy Omerchu, which I believe is David Reed, but we're not positive, so David let us Murphy. know if you are. David, David Murphy. David, David Murphy, David sorry. Murphy. I don't know. I don't. Someone, David, you know, there's David's. I, I get them mixed up. Um, and then we're, we're, our main topic for today, we're going to be going over top three strategies that we use in a tournament. So we'll kind of explain that in a little bit, but we'll go over to the list. So, so David kind of has a weird list where it's four lists based on a tournament that he has coming up. So I'll, I'll let Matt go over that. All right. So, um, so this is the list. And I guess the first thing I want to point out is everybody who's looking at this on YouTube, please look at this list and please look at the name at the top. Um, I know usually we apologize at the beginning of these podcasts and list readings because we're going to butcher somebody's name, but with this one, Oh, come on, really? Uh, you know, I, I, I'm I, I'm sorry, but there was there was no way we were going to get this one, this one right, and probably no way anybody anybody outside of Ireland was going to get this one right. But uh, all right, we're gonna we're gonna assume this is David Murphy and just refer to him as David Murphy going forward. So uh, if you're not David Murphy, I am sorry about that. But we you know we we weren't even going to attempt this one. So David David says food for thought. Uh, first uh, IHL tournament, which I think is the Irish Hobbit League tournament in 10 months is next weekend. It's an exclamation tournament, and I'm bringing in Azog's Hunters, Azog's Legion, and Dogal Dur Alliance. Tournament is two games of 450 first, then two games of 650, then two games of 800, and finally one game of 1,000 points. So he then has a, a bunch of lists that I'm not going to read out all at once because that would just be a whole bunch of information that would just wash over people. So to avoid that effect, I'm just going to read, let, let's start doing the list for games one and two, which is 450 points. And uh, before we get into the list itself, game one is either recon or divide and conquer. Game two is either domination, capture and control or breakthrough. Uh, so we either have, um, you know, recon, get from one side of the board to the other, or divide and conquer, uh, starting on, um, two sides of the board and get to the middle. And, uh, then, then we have a choice of three objective-based ones, domination, capture and control, or breakthrough. Uh, so his first list is a, um, 450 point list. And this is a Gundabad Orc Captain with Shield, who's the leader. Ten Gundabad Orcs with Spear and Shield. Fimble on Felwarg with nine Hunter Orcs. One has a Warhorn. Yaznag on Felwarg with Lance and nine Hunter Orcs. And, uh, and that's the list. Um, and uh, David also mentions it's already past list submission deadline, but maybe you'll enjoy critiquing my army. All right. So there's nothing we can actually do to improve this. Um, but what we can do, I guess, is say, well, you should have done this. Um, so I have a couple of thoughts, uh, here, um, but why don't I hand it off to Mick? You're up. What do you think? So first of all, this is a really interesting tournament in that, um, over the seven games, you can play every scenario, but the way that these scenarios are, um, are lined up, like... <laughs> To me, it seems a bit like you could be building a list either to do well in the first few, or you could be building a list to, to do well in the in the latter few, and so and so depending exactly how how you put your models into 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 each list, 
you might do better early on or better later on. So like my first inclination here was even though uh, I'm looking at a 450 point list, I'm actually thinking, I wonder how this is gonna end up as a thousand point list for Lords of Battle, which is, which is the final game. So with that in mind, uh, I quite like this list already. Um, the Gunnarbard Orc Captain and the Orcs, as well as Fimble and Yasnek, like they're all very, very, very solid choices, um, both for the early games and for the late games. So I don't think there is very much that I would be changing here. Like as a 450 points, that's pretty solid. Uh, I would potentially, hold on, there's not, there aren't any, any bows here and, um, there aren't any hunter orcs on wargs. So I would potentially try to grab maybe like one or two extra wargs for them, just because um, recon and divide and conquer at the start um, may require some, some additional movement. But other than like just changing and adding a few wargs here and there, I think I would, I would keep it as it is. So, yeah, I mean, my thoughts are similar. I think specifically, I, I'm not sure you need the Warhorn in these first two scenarios. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that. Um, since they're, you know, either maneuver or get someplace scenarios. And, you know, people are going to have to either fight you or you're just going to kind of run around them and run off the board. So I would get rid of the Warhorn and save that for an ad later. Whereas on the other hand, I noticed in the 650 list, there's a Gundabat. Um, I would put that Gundabad in this list in exchange for the Warhorn. And that would leave you with five points left over. I think what you could do at that point is delete one of the Hunter Orcs, which would give you enough to put, I think, one Hunter Orc on a Fell Warg. And I think probably one Hunter Orc with a Fell Warg is worth it. Um, and then you'd have a couple points left over to, I think, give a couple Hunter Orcs bows, which is useful in uh reconnoiter and also if they're you know kind of hanging back on an objective in one of the uh, objective scenarios in um game two uh so i think those are the tweaks that i would make i would i would put the gun to bat in earlier and save the warhorn for later and maybe throw throw a fell throw i think one fell warg in um i don't think you want to you want to spam hunter arcs on fell wargs but one is always useful particularly if you're playing uh, reconnoiter because you know he he's got the he's got the what is it the fell smell or whatever he has where he can hide behind a building and charge out from behind it um with his buddy fumble or his buddy yasnag and then they can call a heroic combat and head for the other side of the board yeah especially if you were to have the one gunda bat as well that, yep. uh, that, uh, that will give you what four cavalry models for like for for, for a recon game which is, which is plenty especially at such low level yep yeah i i um to be honest with you i like Whenever I have the ability to take Fell Wargs, I like to take at least three. And I know even at 453 might sound like, eh, maybe it's a little too... With, with three, especially based on the first two or two games, which is Divide and Conquer, Recon, you know, it kind of kind of revolves a little bit of speed. And I think with them having Fell Sight and being able, like Matt said, be able to charge around corners without having to see anything, it kind of gives them a huge advantage. Having three models that move 10 inches is, is a huge advantage combined with something like Fimble and Yasnag. Um, and then I, I actually agree with the Warhorn. I'd take that out and I'd add the bat. So I'd probably say get rid of the Warhorn for a bat. And then I'd like to see 
like two or three hunter orcs put, put into foul wargs to kind of go where they need to go. So for example, if they need to go off the board for recon or they need to go get something for domination, they just have the ability to do so. I think anytime you can get a model that moves 10 inches for, I think it's eight or nine points, I think you have to take advantage of a, a few of yeah. those guys. Well, keep in mind, I think the way this works is, you know, once you kind of, once you put a figure into the list, you're stuck with it. Yeah. And. Oh, is and, that, okay. So it, yeah. it's, you can't yeah. change like, okay. So. Yeah. No, yeah. No. Okay. So I'm not, I'm not sure you want two or three fell warriors later on as, as, cause they're, you know, they're essentially the same as, you know, I mean, you're trading in two hunter orcs for one yeah. uh, guy in fell warriors. So I'd be hesitant to. Well, I just yeah, meant fell wargs by themselves. I didn't mean him them on. Oh, oh, I see, I see. What you're I saying. just like fell wargs by themselves for nine points or eight points, whatever they are, um, because I think ten inches for that point cost is they're still strength four as well. So I think I think they're still very good for either. Yeah, but like no no charge bonus is. is There's is, no charge is bonus, but that's not what they're there downside. for. They're they're there to get around the flanks. They're there to go for objectives. They're there to, you know cause a little bit of havoc while they can. They're not really there to do that. They're, they're there to confuse your opponent, in my opinion. Sure. Yeah. But I think I think, uh, I think you also have to think about um, how the scenarios are positioned. Because let's say, yeah, may, maybe in Recon or Divine and Conquer in like game game one, you might you might benefit from like extra extra one or two fell works. But then let's say game two is domination, capture, capture control, or breakthrough. So then you could maybe have one less fellow work in the first game and then add a, add one more for the second game. But then the question well, is uh, you will, can't actually you have the you have the same list for the first yeah, two games. Uh for the first two or oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Two yeah, first two. yeah, sorry. First two. So then so then so then if you were to compare it, let's say uh games three and four. So then um you would be changing the list for those games. You would be adding things then. So if you were to look at the scenarios for games three and four you you'd think okay well i well i sort of want this list for games 3 and 4 um and i'm stuck with already these these models from from games 1 and 2 should i be uh adding something to help me specifically for these games or should i already have these models for the earlier games so then in a sense i wouldn't necessarily go for the uh for the fell works er early on if i wanted to bring them later on then, then, then I, would, I would maybe consider that makes sense. I can see. My my I, question is this: I, I'm looking at the list. Um, in the first list, the Gundabad or Captain is his leader. In the second, it's Bull, so they can change leader later on, I suppose. I, yeah, I guess so. Because, uh, yeah, because the one yeah, that like yeah, yeah. Year of yeah. And, and I think I wonder if the restriction was. Sorry, I wonder if the restriction was simply if you pick an army, you have to pick that army. And then no. you can like add on to it. No, I mean, normal, normally an escalation tournament works if, let's say, in, in this case, you have the 450, then mm -hmm. games three and four, you now add 200 points extra. Mm -hmm. Games five and six, you add uh, 150 points extra. And then game seven, you add another, uh, another 200 okay, points. Okay, so you've, I, I've never played an escalation, so you, got, you clearly know more about this than I do. So I'll, I, I'm a, okay, so have, have you found, have you played an escalation, Nick? Yeah, and I found that towards towards the later games, if, if it really benefits you to have like just a bunch of huge heroes because of like one thousand or like thousand two hundred points, nothing mm. really beats a bunch of huge heroes. <laughs> uh, so, but you can you can change your leader though in escalation terms, correct? Yeah, well, 
it would be it would be this, the, the the sort of situation where uh, let's say if you were if if your escalation was starting at like three fifty and you mm. wanted to play a Sauron later on in like eight hundred, Sauron has to be your leader, right? Okay. Gotcha. So like the 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 leader normally is dependent on on who has the highest level of of, of leadership within 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 like the model stats. So like you can't have a leader who is a hero of fortitude if you have a hero of legend in your army. Once mm -hmm. yeah, once he buys bulk. Yeah. Okay, I see what it's yeah, because it goes up yeah, yeah. automatically. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. Um yeah, all right. I, I mean, I guess with all that said, there and there's enough um need for for movement and the ability to kind of run to an objective in games one, two, three, and four that I ha I have to say, I think I'm in your camp, Tim, that I I I wouldn't think that changing out a couple of hunter, you know, maybe like two hunter or I think you still want one guy on a warp. Um just, just to get the charge bonus or oh, the ability to dismount. But I think you can also um, take maybe a couple of uh, um, fell wards just on their own. Because I think they're going to be about, useful for the first force in their house. What about eventually going to like two gun to bad uh, bats? Yeah. Is that just point sink too much? Or uh, I, I don't know. I mean, the other thing I was thinking about, because he's got, he's got some Merkwood spiders later on in the list that I think also would be useful earlier on. But to do that, he's got to, um, he's got to take a ring wraith. And I'm not mm -hmm. sure he wants that at the lower, mm. at the yeah. lower end of um, points. But yeah, I mean, I guess I'd be okay with it. So how, so how, so that would be another 25 points off of this. Which essentially would be, if he's getting rid of the warhorn, he could, um, you know, if he's going to get another gun to bat, he, you know, then don't don't put another uh, hunter work on the um, on the warg. So he would have to drop, um, I think, uh, maybe one. How much is a gun to bat orc? With spear uh, and shield, I think they're eight base, so I think they're ten with a spear and shield. Ten with a spear and shield, so he'd have to drop. Um, let's see, thirty. He'd have to drop two of them to get another gun to bat or another gun to bat in there. Um, which actually, if he dropped the warhorn and dropped, yeah, he'd have the same numbers. So yeah, maybe that's a way to go. Actually, instead of. Um, you know, in lieu of, of mounting hunter orcs, uh, go um, eight in the 450 list. It, uh, the gun to bat orc captain's list would be eight gun to bat orcs and two gun to bats. Okay. All right. Um, I think we move on to the 650 now, uh, which is Bolgon Felwarg and one gun to bat as his leader, uh, the, the Bolg, obviously. Uh, Gundabad Orc Captain with Shield and 10 Gundabad Orcs with Spear and Shield. Thimble with 9 Hunt Orcs, 1 with Warhorn, Niaznag, Unfell Warg with Lance and 9 Hunt Orcs. So essentially he has just added Bolg and 1 Gundabad to that. Exactly the stuff we just read out. Now this makes it tricky to actually uh, critique in a sense because we've already changed the 450 point list. 
Yeah, so but let's let's let's. I mean, I mean, none of this is going to matter anyway. Yeah, so yeah. let's just let's just take this new. And we should read out. This is going to play a game three scenario, which is seize the prize, retrieval, or destroy the supplies, or a game four scenario and a game four scenario, which is either command the battlefield or uh, hold ground. Um, so we've got one kind of go find something or go get a bunch of things, and um. Then we have a uh, um, command the battlefield, which is are we you know, saying, go to four different places or hold ground, go to the center. Are we saying that we can't add equipment to models that were already in a list? Is that a thing, Nick? So if I had a hunter work that was plain before, I can't uh, add a, a bow later on? I think, I think you should be able to add. You just shouldn't be. Because you haven't changed the models. You just add equipment. Yeah, yeah I, just I, add think, I think that's escalation. Because I'm wondering, right. I'm wondering if you maybe try to add, you get rid of one model. Well, you can't get rid of a model, can you? Um, you could so, choose. You could choose not to add another model. That's true. Okay. Um, so I, I still think the well, solution here. On, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I wonder if if we're going based on the 450 points, uh, where we said we wanted two Gunda baths. Um, if we're doing based on that, we maybe get rid of, well, I guess you'd have, because the problem is you have to plan your 650, 800,000 before almost you plan your 450. I actually think you yeah. go in reverse order and you plan your 1,800, 650, 450, knowing that you, you have to take away things rather than add things, in my opinion. Knowing that I, I'll have this at a thousand, now I'm gonna take things away and, I gotta, and see if it works. But would you guys go backwards or would you go forwards? Well, so that's that was like similar statement to the first thing I said, in that you kind of have to be building a list knowing that like your last game is gonna be Lords, your 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 uh, a game before last is gonna be Fog of War, Assassination, etc. So you sort of have to be building with all those things in mind. So like. Uh, you know that if, let's say, in your 650 point, you're adding a bog, then in your 800 or 1,000 list, you're probably going to have to be adding something to add for those specific scenarios. So like, I don't think there is a, specifically a correct way to go. I think e either or is fine. So you, you, I, you, you I so, would want... You sort of have to have to think about all the scenarios at the same time and all the lists at the same time. I, I would want to, I think, I think going back to the 450, if I could add the nine bows to the hunt forks, I think I'd want to for, you know, half the cost of the Warhorn. And then maybe use like the 11 points, you get rid of a Gundabad orc, or maybe, you know, down, I don't know, something like that. You get a, one Gundabat in, and then that way, when you go into the 650, it is as simple as adding one Gundabat in Bolgon Warg. So then... At 650, you have two Gundabats, Bolgon Warg, plus you have nine bows at that point. And you have. So, you I mean, I th that's, that's relatively simple to do. If you just take the list that he's got here, what you would do is you would delete the same two Gundabat orcs with Spear and Shield the last that we did uh, the last time. And I think one of the uh, Hunter orcs. And then you could. Um, and, and with that, you could add a second Gundabat, which I think you probably still want here. I mean, especially with Seize the Prize, because you get a 
well, we'll talk about that in a second. Well, would you guys and then you could the add some horn? bows. Hmm? Would you want the warhorn at six fifty? I, th- I I think you do want the war- you you're starting to get to the point where you want the warhorn. Eventually, you do, yeah. Um, and I don't think it's I don't think it's a bad ad here. I mean, if you because these are scenarios like seize the supply the prize, retrieval and destroy the supplies where you you need to get into contact with the enemy. And if and if there's a terror wall or a terrifying figure that's like sitting on the prize, you need a you need some help with that. Um, and I think you know probably like with seize the prize. By the way, seize the prize is a scenario where like you need to if you know you're going to play it or you think you may play it, you need to write your list with a how do I get the prize on turn one with this list. And I think that's why he's got the the gun to bat there. Although if you're going against magic. Um, sending the gun to bat to get the, the prize is less than ideal. And you, you want to be teleporting a bunch of your heroes forward so that somebody with will ends up um, grabbing the prize. And, you know, the gun to bat's just there to screen off. So you're probably at that point trying to slingshot with a heroic march, the gun to bat, Bolg, Fimble, and Yasnik forward to try and grab that prize. Right. Um, Rainier, any thoughts? No, I just, I like it. Um, I think it's a good progression. I think all of us think it's a good progression. Um, I just really would agree with putting the good and the bad in the first list, or the bat in the first list, and possibly adding two. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that's probably all I have to say about this. We talked in okay. detail a lot in a previous list review, I think, about uh, gun to bad, and I think I, I, I'd just be repeating myself. Okay, uh, we'll move on to 800 now, uh, where essentially he has added six Gundabad orcs with shield and spear to the Bulg Warband. Uh, he has gone up to 11 Gundabad orcs with spear and shield in the Gundabad orc captain's warband, along with one Gundabad orc with banner. He has gone from nine hunter orcs in Fimble's warband to 12, and again, nine hunter orcs to 12 in Yaznegs. So any thoughts on that progression? I'll go with Matt first. So I think I would, um, I would at this stage delete one of the hunter orcs, uh, give the orc with the gun to bad orc with a banner, a spear, and a shield. Um, or alternatively, you could give the banner to one of the gun to bad orcs with a spear and a shield, and then just have one gun to bad orc run- wandering around with just a shield. And then give some bows to the rest of the hunter orcs, um, because those are actually going to be surprisingly useful. I think if you draw a clash by moonlight, because they're useful guys with that plus one to wound, just to hang back and shoot into combat. Um, you know when when you know Aragorn charges one of your hunter hunter orcs um, and is all set to her combat off of him, you have like three or so uh, hunter arcs that are hanging back with bows that just shoot into that combat. And, you know, if they kill your guy, great. And if they uh, do a wound to Aragorn or knock him off his horse, even better. Um, so I think that's the adjustment I would make on uh, that one. Yeah. And if you, even if you get to the, to the death, you're starting way behind and it'll give you at least some cover. If the opponent has zero shooting, you at least have that initiative. Or if they do have shooting, you don't just have to like run to him like 30 or 40 inches like the whole game. Yep. Yeah, round five is also comes with champions uh, potentially. So you can just be 
killing your own guys when they're in combat with your opponent's leader. Yeah, and it would go over to Lords of Battle too. Same same kind of strategy. Yeah. For I actually, I actually wonder if maybe you delete two hunter orcs and make sure that half your hunter orcs have bows. So then you have Fimble and half your hunter orcs with bows. Remember, Fimble has a bow. Everybody always forgets that, including me. Yeah, I. So you look at the model count, and I believe, if I'm correct. He is at 43 warriors with four heroes, so 47 if I'm correct. So 47 at 800. Um, it is a little squishy in terms of not, not numbers, but um, the, the army itself being defense four for the most part, except for the spear support. Um, it's a good number, though, to be fair, for... Um, for, for, for this army, I should say. Um, it's got a banner, it's got a war horn. Um, got one Gundabad bat. Um, so I, I still think that needs to get boosted up. I know we keep talking about that. I just, at 800, I'd want to see at least two Gundabad. Um, so I think with the scenarios as they exist for game five and six, I don't think you need two bats. I mean, I, I mean, maybe you're, I mean, you could certainly get two bats, but I don't think you need two bats if you'd rather have kind of the extra numbers. Because I don't enough. think there's anything. I mean, 47 is a good number. You, you... Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I don't think there, I don't think there's anything that you actually get um, uh, out of that. So um, let's see. The only other thing I was looking at, because I always forget this rule. Um, oh, so the other reason, by the way, to to give some bows um, to uh, to your hunter orcs is you've got Bulg in this list, which means that all those hunter orcs are going to be shooting Morgul arrows, um, which is kind of a neat thing when you're shooting into combat to get one of those things sticking into Aragorn, so that he has to roll that sit that d6 each turn and or suffer an additional wound. So it's good as well because Bolg is obviously in the Legion list, so he gets the uh, Master of Battle as well. So that'll, I mean, that'll be helpful for him in, in that regard. So I, I definitely prefer that in, instead of the you know Hunt Orc spam route. But um, yeah, unless anybody has any final thoughts, we'll move on to the thousand point variation. Uh, um, just just one one is... one question before we move on on the Morgul arrows. So the rule reads: any model that suffers a wound. From a model with the special rule shooting attacks and isn't slain, must roll a d6 at the start of each subsequent turn. On a roll of a one, the model suffers a wound. Does that still happen even if you save off the wound with fate? Uh, I don't think so, because then when you save, the effects get removed. Same as like if you save the Mongol Blade, you wouldn't just die. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't have a definitive answer to that, but typically, typically, when something is is eliminated, if if it's if you make a fate save, it says that, and it it doesn't say that in this rule. And I'm, I don't know. We don't need to sort this out. I was just I read that rule and I was like, huh. I didn't know if anybody knew if there was an FAQ on that or a definitive no, way to do it. Well, we could always send it to the FAQ, but then you never know what might happen. It's true. Could find could find out that right, uh, so we'll if he suffers a wound, he just dies if he makes his favorite. 
um, variation. All right. Uh, so in a thousand points, we've added two abysmal nights and two Mercury spiders, right? Yeah, two abysmal nights. Abysmal nights. Yes, not to be confused with the abyssal knight, who is actually a useful figure. The abysmal knight just kind of sits there just, and looks sad. Yeah, he's just abysmal. Yep. I saw that. I, I laughed so hard when I saw that at first. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, yeah, same thing. I, any thoughts on that as the addition? You guys happy with those selections? You change anything? Yeah, the two um, spiders are nice. Kind of I, like how, how, how many points is Azog? Or like a... uh, he is 240 with the flail if oh, you don't okay, take the flail okay, too yeah, yeah. No, that, no, that's too much. But I don't know, like I, I wouldn't mind just like throwing in a spider queen or something like that instead of the two abys abysmal knights. Uh, I would much rather have the spider queen personally. I agree with that. Yeah, yeah it might give you more power because the only hitting power is coming from Bolg at yeah. both 800 and 1000. Yeah. And with Bolg and one gun to bat, like that's kind of a little low for killing output. I mean, of course, the hunter orcs will do stuff, but at a thousand well, points, you might be coming against so, yeah, like, quite a lot. This, so. this, this is Lords, the, fight, the final game. Yeah. Like you want to be killing as much as possible. But if he if he includes the Spider Queen, doesn't he lose his um, Master of Battle? Why would he? Because it's a yellow alliance. Is it yellow? I thought they were. Green. I think Denison's Dark Denison's of Mirkwood is yellow, with uh, at least one of these guys. But let's I'll see. double check and make sure. I thought I thought that was maybe I'm wrong. I thought that they were. Uh, oh, maybe you are right actually, because I think you're right. I think the necromancer part is yeah. Connected, Dark, is Denison's Denison's yeah, no, Mirkwood right. is is you're yellow right, with yeah. everybody. Well, so that's still, that's why that's why it's not here. Still, I think I would rather have the Spider Queen and lose the bonus. Mm, I, don't know. I don't know. Master of Battle and Bolg is terrifying. It's strong, but. Uh, for for one one final game, I think I would rather go with more killing power. Uh, on a defense for Spider Queen and Matt, what other uh, armies with, are green with heroic with, defense um, with Legion and forget that. <laughs> so, so as as the question of which armies are green, it's Azog's Legion, Azog's Hunters, and Belgaldor are all green with each other. Mm -hmm. Would you add Keeper? Get a little bit mini bulk in there, or do you think it's not really worth it? Would you rather just have an abyssal knight? Um, I so what he says, I think later on, it's not here. Is the reason he did that is to get the elven blade, um, to win combats. I, the one I think I would definitely take above the abyssal knight is, um, at least above one abyssal knight is the witch king to get the extra point of mind in here. Um, and actually, here's another thought. Because, um, you know, in escalation, uh, you don't have to use all of your points, right? So, in your 800 point list, if you were to spend 775, then your 1000 point list could, could include three ring rates. Uh, but remember, that would mean you're going to, you got to play two of your games with 775 that, points. That is true, yeah. Um, so, it just, it just sort of depends on whether you want to take that sort of approach. Yeah. Um, so, so I guess here's the problem with the ring rate, these ring rates, right? Is 
their defense six, they have one wound, and every time they die, even if they come back, you're giving your opponent a point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm just not sure that's the way to go. Um, they, they're fight five, though, right? They are fight five, and they can't heroic strike. And that, that, that's you know, good. I mean, that, that could like you could sacrifice one of them to like heroic strike off on like a mega hero or something. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I think I would still definitely take the Witch King as one of them because he has that extra point of might. Because I mean, you're 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 perma dying on a one or a two with these guys, um, so you, I mean, you're, so that's the problem with these guys. You're 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 really scared of heroic striking with them and then losing and then dying and then not having the might to make, turn that one into a two or into a three or a two into a three. Um, product placement, also, yeah, with death. I I think for the most part, I think it's a it, it's a pretty well built list over the the different points. You know, we we've obviously stated the little changes we've had here and there, um, but definitely let us know how you do with this at the tournament. Um, I, I I know you said um, is next weekend, so that was six. So actually, I think it's this weekend, right? So the because it was six days ago, so it would be this weekend. So, so when we by, post, by the, by the time this is posted, it yes. will be last last week. It'll be last or, weekend. Yeah. So, yeah. So let us know how you did in the tournament with this. I, I'm interested to see how many people were there. Um, how'd you do with it in each scenario? And then what, what place did you get? Overall? And would you rather have had the spider queen at a thousand points? And would, would you have rather have the spider queen? All right. Uh, now we're going to move into the main, main topic, which we each have lit, written uh, our top three strategies we have when we're playing a game um so we'll start off with matt what was your number three uh okay well uh instead of doing these in kind of like order of usage to be clear i'm gonna i'm gonna give you kind of three strategies that i use that are are each going to kind of build on one another so um the first one may seem very obvious to a lot of people but there are a number of there are a number of, of players who don't seem to have internalized this, which is when you sit down at a table and you, you look at the map and you hear what the scenario is and you ask your opponent what, the, what his army is and he tells you, um, come up with a plan to win the game. Uh, you know, it's it's you know, a, a fairly, fairly simple concept, but... Um, one that I think is a important and B oftentimes overlooked, um, sit down, figure out what the scenario objectives are, look at your list, look at the terrain, look at how your list compares to his list and figure out, you know, and this is, you know, in, in particular in an objective game, um, go ahead and figure out, all right, I'm going to take this objective and I take this objective and that's what's going to get me to a win. And, you don't have to have a plan, and I think perhaps you probably shouldn't have a plan to get every victory point that's available or get every objective. If things end up happening that allow you to do that, then that's great. But just come up with a plan that gets you to have more victory points than your opponent does by the end. And to give you a, a great example of a simple version of this, um, if folks listen to the last episode we did where we did the duel between Mick and Rainier, Rainier looked at the scenario, he looked at the two armies, and he said, all right, that's the scenario, it's to the death, I get two points for the banner, I've got a banner, it's on a hero with a horse, my opponent does it, 
Uh, so the way I'm going to win this game is to make sure that a, I don't break and B he doesn't kill this guy with a banner. And I'm going, my plan will revolve around that. That's all you need to do. Um, and if you're looking at, uh, if you're looking at a domination game and you're looking at an opponent that has a, uh, a death ball army and you don't, um, then it's as simple as saying, okay, I'm going to scatter these objectives as widely as possible. And I'm going to go to three different objectives and he's only going to be able to contest one of them. And I'm going to win on, on that ground. Um, so anyway, that, so that's my advice is take a moment um, before the game starts, consider your army, consider his army, look at the terrain, look at the scenario and figure out what your plan is to win the game. And once you've done that, then you can go ahead and shake the other guy's hand and start rolling for priority. I, I, I fully agree with that, to be honest. Um, like, I think, I, I think to like piggyback on that, it sounds simple, but it does define many, many games. Like, I've played so at so many like big tournaments and in deployment, you just see people throwing their war, bound, war bands here and there, like contemporary art. <laughs> They're just like <laughs> boom, boom, boom. And you're like, oh, someone doesn't like contemporary art here. <laughs> well, contemporary art in his defense never wins games. <laughs> It's true. It's true. It's a bit messy, let's say. So, so like, but it, it, it is true. You kind of need to visualize all of that. I mean, both Mick and I did that, like you said, in the last episode. And so many times we talk about, okay, good players can sometimes tell who's going to win before the game even starts. I think that has to do with it because they've already scanned the board. They've scanned the scenario and everything. So yeah, I just wanted to agree with that. Well, I would uh, I would maybe correct that and say good players generally can expect who's going to win, mm-hmm. and then try to somehow somehow for uh, a work around that if if it's the opponent who they are expecting to win. Yeah, but, that's a better way to say. Yeah, but a lot of the time it's like you're basically winning or losing the game like before you even deploy your first warband if you're if you're not doing things correctly, mm-hmm. and it, or if you're not thinking about it. Yeah, I mean it's it it is a rare time that a player who sits down with a plan and a player who sits down without a plan, and then they play, and it's the player without a plan that wins. Yeah. It happens sometimes, but yeah, not often. Yeah, not often. At yeah, all. well, <laughs> it is a uh, it is a dice game at the end of yeah. the day, so sometimes it will happen, but like most of the time, you. If you if you've planned your moves, if you've planned how you're going to play the game, then usually that's that's your advantage. Okay, um, Rainier, if you want to go over your one of your three. Okay, so I kind of did these top three on like what I would do at a competitive, I guess, event or something. One of them is a little like oh, which will be like my second one. So like I wouldn't do that. You'll see. I'll talk about that. But my top. My, my third is my number three would be just play the resource as well. And when I say that, I mean like might um, scan, like what Matt said, scan the board, look who has, who, who has might on your opponent's side and take that out as quick as possible. Like we reviewed the gun to bad list. Don't touch Bolg, but you, you see some soft targets with three might, Yasnag and Fimble. And you can think, okay, I can take those out kind of easily. I always think about it kind of like a game of chess sacrifice let's say like a bishop for a rook or a pawn for like some random thing or if you really need to do it suicide a queen for a queen so 
that's what I say, like play your resources uh, or deny their resources really well and play your resources. I hate, hate, hate going to a game and having a hero die with might on him. And I hate, hate, hate ending a game with might on any of my models. And I see this happen so many times in events, even at top table to where you'll end the game, whether I game, whether I win or lose, you scan your opponent's models and you realize, oh shoot, like they had three or four might on the board or their mega hero had one more might um, left on the thing. And I just think that's like wasted resources. So yeah, never leave might on the table, I'd say, and try to take out your, the might on your opponent's side. That's what like I always kind of want to do because that controls the pace of the game and, and everything. And then like, it also has to do with uh, timing the game right. So you know, okay, don't conserve your might too much because you know it has one or two rounds left. Just keep that in mind to where you're spending it. Yeah, I just like to burn might whenever, whenever, whenever convenient. Just like bur burn through your might points, burn through your will points. Chances are the game is gone soon anyway. Yeah, exactly, and exactly because I play a lot of fallen realms that are low defense, one fate. Like if I've got Dalgamar, like screw that, like I'm gonna spend his might like crazy because like one bad roll, he's dead <laughs> by basic troops or something. So yeah, I, I agree with that. Well, don't don't. Don't spend your point of make to hit with a bow. That's probably not a good. If use. it's if it, if it's the very last shot of the game and <laughs> and you know and your hero's not in combat and you know the game ends this turn, do spend your might to hit. You might right. kill some. Well, or if you want to take out a horse, take out a horse. <laughs> like, but um, yeah, I just I just see a lot of people. It's smart to conserve your might, but in many lists. You don't want to do that too much because your heroes will die with might and you'll end the game with might. And that's again just a waste. Yeah, but like also sometimes it's like, let's say you, you have Legolas and you're shooting against a Ringwraith and Fell Beast. And like, say you roll a three. And if you spend three might points, you will cause that wound. Um, very often it's like people won't do it because, oh, yeah, mm -hmm. what if I'm going to need that might point later on? And if, what if I'm going to be shooting again, et cetera? But thing is, like, if you've if you've spent all three, you've caused one wound. Chances are they burned at least one fate point. Chances are next time, if you if anything random happens throughout the game for, for like the next two hours, any random additional hit might just take out the wraith. So sometimes, sometimes it's 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 good to to just to just burn things early on, if if you feel like that might give you a major advantage later on in that your opponent might just be playing safer or not doing things correctly because they're afraid of something. Yeah, it's definitely a different, it's a definitely a different question to spend might to wound with a shot as opposed to spend oh, yeah, might yeah, to course. hit with a shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure I'd fully endorse spending three points of might to get a wound unless it's, you know, maybe a wound on a general and you need that point. In which case, maybe. It depends. I, I, I think, though, that for the most part, I mean, I think for maybe not, I'd say a good group of people are conservative with their might because they're like, oh, I don't want to be caught in this circumstance uh, where I don't have might. But a lot of times it's not the worst thing to be a little aggressive with your might. Now, of course, that doesn't mean be reckless, but I think there are times where people are a little too cautious with their might and they need to really just 
you know, if it costs two might to do two wounds to a hero, they got one left, maybe that's worth it. They're down to one wound. You know, yes, you, you could save that point of might, but who knows? Maybe that, that extra damage will, you know, you did two wounds instead of one, they failed three fate and they only had two wounds, they die, you know? Whereas if you'd only caused one wound, who knows? They'd still be I, I, I think it's kind of like a break between players that play good and players that play bad. Many times players that play good armies save the might because you kind of win the game in the second half of, of like, let's say the, the two hour game, you win it in the last 30 minutes, but evil players, you do all the damage in the beginning. Cause you're like, bam, 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 bam. So maybe it is that just evil players making it make plays a lot of evil. I just basically a lot of evil. We just like that aspect of it because you do kind of have to spend your might early in the game. It's a good point though, because I'll be honest with you. We, what's the whole benefit of good versus evil, right? Good has higher fight value with lesser troops, but they're more high quality. Evil has, you know, lesser Evil troops, shoots but... into combat. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> evil shoots into combat, you know. They, they have, each of them has their pros and cons. Now, the whole thing is, is that, you know, Mordor, well, I use Mordor for example, because it's probably one of the most used armies. You know, they have a bunch of troops that aren't the highest quality. They're decent. You know, I'm going to refer to Moranins because that's what 90% of people take at a high competitive list you know moranins are defense six strength four but you know they're they're fight three and they're courage two so they get a little impeded at some point whereas you know a high elf is fight five defense six courage five they kind of cover everything but you don't get as many of them so it's that thing of you know what rainier said where you've got to do damage quickly because if the if, you, if the high elves get longer time to live they're, they're going to do more damage over time yeah, the Hiles will stay around after break. The orcs might not. Exactly. Yeah. So what's so the point kind of, of what's the point of having forty eight models if you lose twelve of them to breaking? You know. Mm -hmm. So and like so, we could compare compare that to like the list we just reviewed. Like, don't feel bad about rogue striking in the beginning to take out like if you go against a high elf army, take out high elves to like make the battle lines less because sooner or later your guys are gonna your fimble and nars like they're gonna die sooner or later. Why not spend those resources to take out the elves? And then the fight won't matter when you have like two hunter orcs against one high elf or something. But you have to like spend it to like do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I And, and I think another thing, at least because I'll play evil and good myself. And when I play evil, my concerns are win the game, don't break. When I'm playing good, my concerns are win the game and, you know, that's pretty much it. Like, I'm not really concerned about breaking most of the time when I'm playing good, because for the most part, you have higher courage or you have heroes that kind of make it so you're not worried about breaking, to be honest with you. So evil does have another thing to worry about with breaking, because, you know, you could lose a lot of models to breaking, whereas if you would push forward in the advance, maybe you don't break. Um, we'll move on to my uh, one of my top tips. Um, I'll be honest with you, mine are going to sound a little basic, but I don't think they should be overlooked because I myself have uh, really plundered at the beginning of playing this game and, and, and through going over these, um, it really has improved me a lot. Um, plundered or blundered? What did I say? You said plundered. Oh, that's not what I meant to. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's a little Easter egg. He's playing Corsairs. I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to relate to uh, Rainier's Corsairs, you know, plunder, yep. you know. <laughs> um, that would explain the treasure chest in the background of your uh, recording video here. I have a treasure chest? 
You do. You have a lot oh. of stuff in the background. I do. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, where, well, I'll have to find it. Where, where did you plunder all those pictures from and that TV? Um, I'm going to go with the department store. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you joined um, one of those riots. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, some of them, are, I don't know, they've just been here forever. And the TV, I don't know, we've had that for like 10 years. But mm-hmm. um, Where did your parents plunder it from? I, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Best Buy would be my guess. Okay. Which I don't know if you guys have in England, but I'm assuming you don't. So. No, but just just to say, in case people haven't been in Best Buy, it's like one of my favorite shops in the world. <laughs> Best Buy is a, is a very decent shop for like. It's a games stuff. workshop for like uh, electronic nerds. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, but but my my first. So anyway, to go yeah. on with the unexpected podcast. I, don't, I wasn't expecting that Best to be Buy. honest with you. That, 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 that <laughs> took a detour. I wasn't expecting whatsoever. Um, but my first tip would be just to make sure you know your opponent's models and what they're capable of doing. So I know it seems simple if you learn the game and you learn, you you get a general idea of memorizing. But I, what I've what I've figured out over time is even if I have a pretty solid ninety nine percent of what they do. Before I play any person, I will look at my phone real quick and I'll look at every single hero profile and every warrior profile real quick. And I'll just make sure, okay, this is an active ability. This is a passive ability. Um, this is what they can do. And, and, you know, when you're seasoned enough, you pretty much remember all that stuff. But I just like to go over it before every match so I don't get surprised when something happens. And that, just so anybody knows, that includes FAQs because you, there might be something in an FAQ that you're not aware of. So if you go through an FAQ real quick and you, you, you find anything that states around a certain model, um, realistically in a tournament, you have, let's say, five minutes before you start deploying anyway. So you get those five minutes. You use it to you know look at any rules for those models. You look at, at the rules themselves because the main rules for, let's say, the, the three heroes that they have, that'll take you at most a minute. Um, and then you use the rest of the time looking for the FAQs and you see, is there anything that got eroded that I didn't know about? Oh, this did. So let me keep this in mind. Cause the worst thing that can happen is you have an idea in your head and then someone pulls up something and they go, Oh, well, he's going to do this. And you didn't know that that could be a possibility. So if you know your opponent's army, you know, everything that they're capable of doing and it helps you out later down the line. Yeah. You ask them too. you'd be like, Hey, like that's the watcher. I've never you could played. do that as well. Yep. What, what what do they do? Or you can, I always ask, oh, does that one have heroic strike? What's that one's fight value? Oh, like blah, all, all these different things. Because you're right, you kind of got to know your opponent's strengths and play, either try to ignore them or play against them. But I like that it's, it does, like you said, it does sound simple, but no, so many times I've come up against someone and they're like, what? Like Corsairs can backstab or different things like Soledan six inch banner or I've TO'd many games or TO'd many tournaments and just seen people like freak out about something. And it's like, it's very simple. Just ask them what it does. Or like you said, research it real quick, open the book to see beforehand. I know yeah, Articon okay. helped me a lot because Articon, Articon has the list you're going against and you just have your books on you and just flip through. Oh, okay. This, 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 this. Then you implement what Matt said, scan the board, scan the scenario, scan the armies, but then play the game. Because for me, the biggest thing when when I, when I do this personally, like I, I like I said, I pretty much, well, as I imagine everybody else here has no, know most of the profiles in the game. And it's always good to review them really quickly. But 
for me, it's active and passive abilities that I look for really carefully. So I know, okay, if I, you know, if I have magic in my list, okay, if I transfix, he can't do this. If I do this, he can't do that. So active and passive abilities. I definitely don't remember active and passive. So I look those up so I know what I can shut down and what I can. Yeah, I would generally write writes uh, any anything important down. Like normally, uh, uh, there was actually a thread on GBHL some time ago asking about whether people use pen and paper or any other tools like iPads or whatever else to actually memorize uh, to, to 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 write down things. And like pen and paper is probably best because you can very quickly jot things down. But also, uh, if you read someone's profile and you go, oh, this person has a heroic defense or a heroic thing or some other ability, you can just quickly note it down. And so every time you look at that piece of paper, you will remember. Yeah. And I think, I think and I know this may be not possible for some people, but I think having the books on, um, available to be on your phone or an iPad or huge. I just so walk around. Just, like, I look like a librarian. Yeah. I've got the yeah, most you got like six books. stuff. And I'm like, got my models on them because I'm too lazy to make like a display board. They're all mm -hmm. flying all over the place, but you, you got to come ready. And what Mick said too, like write all the names of your, your, your heroes, do the circles for might will fate. And then the opponent's heroes might will fate and then track it. We, I know we talked about this in a previous episode, but bubble them in as you use them and as your opponent uses them too. You gotta just visualize, know what's going on. Okay, um, Nick, if you wanna go over your first one. So I do a thing that, um, that always helps me to play games and it, uh, I do it before actually the games begin and before I even come to the tournament. It's to do with painting actually where I always try to make my army stand out to be to be sort of different than the terrain that I'm expecting and different than my opponent's army that I'm expecting. So for example, one thing I always do, like 99% of, 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 my, of my armies have white bases because unless you're playing on a white terrain, um, you instantly see where the models are. And so like, so many times people run into situations where they may have put a model somewhere behind a tree and then, and then, and then not notice it at the end of the, of the game. Or let's say there are situations where you're playing mortar against your opponent's mortar and all the orcs look the same and you're really confused like whose who's models where. And like when, when you're actually trying to look at the whole battlefield from further away, you can't really tell fully like what's going on exactly until, until you go very closely to it. But then that sort of like takes away the attention from from uh, from the entire picture. So, I tend to, uh, I basically tend to never paint models the way that uh, that are described in films or in or in books or in the rule book. Always go with some random colors. Uh, and yeah, my bases are always white because on any like green or black boards or brown boards, it's very it's very easy to instantly see them. And on a whiteboard, well, I will instantly see my opponent's models probably anyway. So yeah, that's just one of those sort of, it's almost like an anti-camouflage. So so, so, you, so you do yours to stand out. Right? Yeah, yeah, I just, I just, I just. My second sure. one has to do with painting too. So I'm like, oh, wow, that's very interesting. <laughs> I, I have to say, I've never heard anybody talk about that. I mean, would you paint your models like neon green? 
Well, not necessarily. <laughs> he puts him in the glow and dark, and then all of a sudden he flips the switch, yeah. everything dark, and then you just yeah. see his models glowing. Exactly. He's good with Army of the Dead. Yeah, good with Army of the Dead. Well, well, that's actually another thing where, let's say, um, uh, I, uh, if I was to play Army of the Dead and my, and my opponent also had Army of the Dead, they all look the same. Like, people would just paint them that's just because shit, you're an shit, army shit, of the dead racist. Of you're right about that because like <laughs> I, I, used, I used to take photos at events to advertise it for the next event too and you'd see like two mortar armies playing against each other and, and you're just like yeah what's going on and then you look at them on. they don't know what's going on well well that's the thing like i've 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 watched so many games of other players where it's mirror matches and i can't tell what's going on and like Who's Spider Queen is that? Oh yeah, and who's, who's Spider Queen is that? There's two of them, but like, which, which one is who? One has There's a little tiny red stripe in the back, but no one can see it. Yeah. So, um, any any way that I can help myself to like really visualize the whole battlefield without having to look closely and figure out, oh, this guy's actually mine, not not my opponent's, then anything like that helps. Okay, um, Matt, if you want to go over your second. Uh, okay, so the second strategy is, well, I, I guess it, it proceeds from, from a truism, and that's that um, you will take less casualties in the area where you have a significant force advantage. Um, so for those of you who are familiar with um, the principles of war that have been laid down through Clausewitz and whatever, this is the principle of mass. Um, and, uh, uh, this means if, if your opponent, if you're trying to kill four models of your opponent and you throw 12 models at them, you will take, you will lose fewer figures than if you throw four models at them, they fight for a while. And then you throw, you know, four more models at the survivors, um, because you're going to be rolling more dice in the duel. You're more likely to win the duel. And when you win a duel, you're more likely to kill your opponent. Um, the, the flip side of this is the, the principle of war that applies here is economy of force, um, which is in the areas where you're not going to have mass, you want to have just as much, just as much force as you need to kind of tie down your opponent and no more um, because committing more force to an area where you're going to lose anyway is just wasteful. Um, so starting with those principles, uh, the, the strategy is to pick your, pick your area where you are going to have the advantage, where you're going to mass, and then pick the area where you're going to have economy of force. Because it's going to be a rare situation where your army just so outclasses your opponent that you're going to be able to beat him everywhere. So you need to figure out on the table where you're going to beat your opponent and figure out where on the table you're just going to avoid losing. Um, so to go, yeah, to, to build on the, the prior example, um, the, if, you're, if you're playing an objective-based scenario, you're playing against the classic ball of death army. So you're going to split up and you're going to go multiple places. Um, what you want to do is you want to have um, a mass area and then you want to have an economy of force area. Uh, and you want to make sure that your mass area hits the area where your opponent's heavy stuff isn't. 
and that your opponent's heavy stuff, if you can arrange it, hits air. So what's a what's a practical example of how to do this? So you know, one one of the ways I will do this is I'll have an army that has like two foot warbands and one warband that has like a heavy hitting hero and some cavalry. And if I am fighting in that scenario where I'm fighting a ball of death uh, and it's an objective based scenario. So the ball of death is, you know, I basically see if I can set up the objective. So the ball of death is either got to go left or it's got to go right. And I'll set up a, a foot warband on the left and I'll set up a foot warband on the right. And then my mobile um, characters and, and, you know, cavalry will set up in the middle. And then I wait to see where the ball of death goes. And whichever way the ball of death goes, my heroes and mobile stuff goes the other way. And that's usually enough stuff to deal with whatever the ball of death has kind of parceled out to cover the objective that it, you know, it's, it's just trying to protect and I can win over there. And then the other, the other war band, when the ball of death moves towards it, it moves gradually away and tries to stay basically an inch out of charge range each turn. So that the ball of death hits air. Um, and, and, you know, you, you want to keep your economy of force side uh, in an area where the ball of death can't ignore it. Because if the ball of death goes and moves away, it's going to go back and take the objective that the ball of death was covering in the first place. So the ball of death has to keep chasing it until the ball of death becomes more and more irrelevant. And you can take the other two or three objectives with the stuff that you have. So that's, you know, I guess the, the principle there is, um, you know, mass and an economy of force have know where your mass is going to be and where you're going to win the fight and know where economy of force is and where you're going to kind of deny the fight to your opponent so that he isn't going. And hopefully on that side, you're, you're just going to maneuver so that you aren't losing models. You're just kind of keeping a force in being that keeps the enemy's mass in check. Yeah, I agree. That's actually my top one. Actually I'll say it in a different way when I come to it, but it, it makes total sense. You, you see so many times where like players just throw models at a battle line or throw things. And it's like, no, like, only engage when you're outnumbering your opponent only engage when you're on like top and when you know you can win it uh we we so many times in mailstorm let's think about deployment you want to gang up on the weak warbands and you don't want to engage those big like he says the ball like matt says the ball of death the same thing applies for non-mailstorm battles and just playing around the board just don't like like keep that in mind i guess um, and, and by the way, it's, it's not necessarily numbers. Um, you shouldn't get kind of lost in the bean counting here. It really is points. Like if you've got, um, you know, Isildur and Elendil, um, you know, on one side of the board, yeah, that's a whole bunch of mass. Even if they're fighting, you know, a dozen figures, they can carve, I mean, they can carve through a dozen orcs pretty darn quickly. Yeah. And if, if you have like 20 models with no heroic strike, against Isildur, Lendil, and like six guys, you're outnumbered. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Basically, yeah, yeah. You you want to avoid that. Like, like. thanks for correcting me. It's not always the numbers. Yeah, it's a bit similar if, let's say, you had a, an, an all-hero army of a thousand points and you were playing against Goblin Town and you were like, okay, well, I have, I have this 1,000 in six models. Um, at a time, I'm only ever going to be, be fighting against like 
50, 60 points per turn, and then I'll just like chew them all up. You don't really ever want to be surrounded fully by anything because then, well, yeah, that's that's not really going to work for you for for for, for, for a very long time. And, and it, I mean, with an army like Goblin Town, it's blindingly obvious where the mass is. And mm -hmm. I mean, the, the mass in that list even has a rule that's called blubbery mass. Yeah, <laughs> um, and you can avoid that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's because the mass is the Goblin King, and that's where the the center of gravity of that army is. And you know, you want to fight wherever that center of gravity isn't. Okay. Uh, Rainier, if you want to go over your number two. Yeah, mine's actually outside of the game. Like, mine's before you play the game, too. I'm going with my number two, and I always... I think painting is a huge part of the part of strategy yeah. in the game. I play like it's... When you said that, I was like, holy smokes, I thought I was a unicorn. There's more out there. <laughs> so, for me... I do it, but I do it the opposite way. Uh, Mick wants to be seen. I don't want to be seen. So I'll give you guys a historical example. Battle of Iwo Jima. Um, Japanese snipers would take out the medics. And they take them out because they knew their importance. And they could see that they who they were because they had a red cross on their armor, a red cross on their helmet. So like right off the bat, their paint, basically their, their aesthetic made them a target. I play, let's take Coursers, for example. I want to do the same thing. I don't want people to know that Dalmir's there. I don't want people to know Dalgamir's there. I don't want people to know my fight five captains are there. So in that sense, I kind of tone down my color scheme with them. And I don't give the traditional, I guess, officer look of my heroes looking completely different than my whole army because I want that kind of menacing, here comes the army. And you don't know where where it is and stuff like that. And even to the sense, this kind of be kind of cheeky. Even to the sense where I want people like Mick to not know my models are there. <laughs> I want him to for, I want people like Mick to forget. That feels so bad. Like I'm like messing with these colorblind people in accident. <laughs> well, and then that's why Rainier paints with the uh, the the camouflage camouflage scheme uh, spray cans. Where you know he'll he'll do like you know mm -hmm. go over brown and then he'll go over with you know, with green again so he gets kind of that mottled green brown look and even he can't figure out where his figures are. It's true. Done. I'm moving other people's models because <laughs> I don't know what's going on. They're like, no, that's my model, and I'm like, oh, what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> but here his figures nope. are, are actually at home. He doesn't. Know where. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, exactly. Best well, way to know, not lose figures that, is to not put them on the table. In invisible Frodo. <laughs> I made my whole army that aesthetic. <laughs> just the empty bases no but i think i think it has some some strategy to it in a way and like it sounds kind of like oh gosh like this guy's taking it too, too serious i don't do this at all the tournaments but when i was like in my heyday of like competitive i gotta like go to articon and like do well i gotta win nova like it, it did play into it even when i played harad i would paint them you remember matt we talk about this like i'd paint them earthy even their bases would look kind of earthy and they'd semi blend in with this, the scenery because I wanted to be the only one to know where my guys are, <laughs> but it does go the opposite. I do do what Mick does as well. So I play Cond and another historical reference. When you go the British Grenadiers with their red coats and their big hats and stuff, you see that across the field and historically speaking, like, why did they do that? Their target it's menacing. It's scary. So if I play Khan, which 
and the, it looks like a whole bunch of huge based guys that cover like a four by four, like, Oh, look at this board, but they're D four, like squishy sons of guns. But I want them with their huge red banners and their beautiful bases to look menacing as they come. And it's kind of like an illusion. So I don't do it so much to know where my guys are. I kind of do it to like, I mean, there's, there's a terrain basis to doing that too. There's a whole bunch of scenarios where basically you get points based on where people are and numbers of yeah. points matter. And, you know, there's, you know, yeah. especially, you know, houses that have roofs that come off where, you know, you can stick guys inside, put the roof back on and then just never touch them again for the rest of the, <laughs> for the rest of the game. And your opponent's probably forgotten that you've got three guys yeah. sitting on that quarter of the table in um, command the battlefield. Mm-hmm. So, or you throw like in a forest or something. Like I know people do this with elves, and like you have the elves and like camo, like looking, and then all of a sudden they pop out, and you think like, okay, maybe because you throw them in there in the beginning of the game, and you th- towards the end of the game you think maybe two or three are in there, and then like eight come out or something. Yep. So there, so there have been times where I've played against people, and this was uh, I, I hate to admit this, but this was relatively recently, but. Um, but there were I, there have been times where, you know, when you have models on the opponent's side of the board and they're hidden behind a train piece and you just kind of forget they're there because they kind of blend in, or like I had I, I've I've lost a game or two before where I just, they just blend in with the terrain and I just I don't see them well because I'm focusing on the, the main thing and you know I forget that there's an objective over there and it just looks like nobody's there and next thing you know oh there he goes lost the game, so it, it does have that little bit of an advantage where if you don't if it blends in well enough you don't actually see it from you know but you do you do have to keep track because i've lost new models before too like <laughs> like it's like it's like oh shoot there's six guys in this house like i have no idea they yeah, did nothing there's, there's there's also the other thing of well i've forgotten to take courage tests with my models because i can't see them because they because uh, i don't want to worry oh yeah like I, like I wouldn't like advise any that's like that's like uh uh that's a little too power plane, but, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't know too. I guess I don't like, like bright colors either in general. I wear a lot of browns and blacks and stuff and it's just, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's cause I grew up in the South and everyone wears camo like during certain seasons. Like it's just, it's normalized, I guess. I don't know. Mm. That's why, you know, you'll be just walking down the street and you won't even realize Rainier is there. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like on the wall like this, like painted, just because I want to do it. And then all of a sudden, you see like blinking. Rainier's one of those guys where if he doesn't move, you won't see him. You know those videos where you see someone like in like one of those uh, robotic um, makeup things, and they're just standing still like a statue, and he pops out at you like that. Yeah. <laughs> That's my Dalmere. That's my Dalmere. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> like, <you're Dalmere. laughs> all right. Um, um, I was actually gonna ask that like. When, uh, when when you mentioned elves and when you mentioned how you how you paint things camo, I actually did uh, did a wood elf army where uh, the elves with swords and throwing daggers had like purple cloaks, the elves with spears had like orange cloaks, the elves with bows had green cloaks. I knew exactly who was who. Mm, that that that's really really good, and like it's really good to visualize that. But I always when I come up against that it helps me know where everything is in the army and it helps me realize, okay, I can take out this with shooting. This is going to hit the flanks. This is this. Cause I'm, like I said, I'm very visual in that sense. And then, um, so that's why I wouldn't even 
do that. Like, uh, uh, I just paint them all the same. Can, can, <laughs> like, can you imagine when the, you know, the, the regiment of wood elves like gets mustered in Lothlorien, um, before, uh, uh, Celeborn and Galadriel and, you know, they've, they, they've got their orange cloaks, their bright orange cloaks and their bright purple cloaks. And Caliborn just turns to Gladiator and goes, who are these idiots? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's clearly party time. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, it's like, like in okay. the forest. <laughs> yeah, these guys are clearly the, the arrow fodder. <laughs> no, but it, 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 it is good like to visualize. And me too, like even, even if I play the whole like camo like scheme or whatever i do have to before each tournament put my guys in war bands and like look be like where's this guy where's this guy before each game because like i do have to like okay this has this this has this this has this so i i do i do get that kind of difficulty and stuff and you could even do it paint everybody like bright and stuff and it's i don't know i think in if you look historically uniforms have had such a psychological advantage or disadvantage on like many, many wars and many, many centuries, you know? So it's like, I don't know, this game, you can like implement a little bit of that, put like some like bright colors for intimidation, put some toned down colors for like camo. It's, it's just interesting. Now, now I'm just thinking in my head of like Gimli walking through Lothlorien going, no wood elf is going to sneak up on me. See, he's right over there with the orange cloak. I could see him a hundred yards away. <laughs> Oh, all right. Um, we'll go on to my number two. Uh, again, these are going to seem simple, but for myself personally, I and I'll go into a, a short story about this as well. Um, this has really changed my game myself, um, which is to make sure you fully understand the scenario and how much time is left. Um, I'll give a quick story. Uh, when Rainier had won the Nova Open, uh, I had played him. I'd won three games previous. And so did Rainier. And so we were matched up against each other. And Rainier won with a minor win, and I had a minor loss. And so we went into our last game. And I knew at this point I was in contention for top three. Um, but I knew I had to do well. And it, I came up against the scenario I had only ever played once before. Um, I think it was what, – what's the one where you have a piece of terrain? You have to get a piece of terrain. They have Fog to get – is it Fog, Fog oh, yeah. So I'd only played that once prior to that tournament. Um, and I'd read it over a little bit, but I didn't really fully pay attention to it. And there came a point at the end of the game where we tied. And I was unaware that you could have more, you can deny your opponent's piece of terrain by having more models in, co in base contact with it than them. I thought it was just, you know, you give up the points if they have models. And so I didn't fully read it. I ended up finishing seventh. But I did the math. If I, I had a model one inch away, he had one model and hit the train piece he wanted. So if I put that model in base contact with the, with the house that he had picked, I actually would have finished third. So I actually would have podiumed if I had just read the scenario completely. Um, so that's a little bit of a regret that I have that I should have just paid attention a little bit more. But also, you know, we, we've talked about this, I think, in the earlier episodes of when we did this as well which is to make sure you know how much time is left. So if you know that there is two hours in your game and you look at your army and you look at your opponent's army, you say, and this is a guesstimate, of course, but you say, you know, I have 
11 rounds in this game. We have 11 rounds. I have to get this done in 11 rounds based on how much time is there. You go forward and you say, okay, I now have 10 rounds. I now have nine, eight, seven, six. And then you realize, okay, I got 20 minutes left in the game. What can I get done in the next 20 minutes based on what's happening and, and really use your time effectively? I think, I think using your time effectively and really paying attention to the scenario can really get you further up in the, po- in the rankings of a tournament. So someone who just kind of reads the scenario and, you know, a, you know, pays attention to the time a little bit, you know, they might, depending on the army, they might do pretty well. But I think if you really focus on those, you can really get further up. Um, I don't know about you guys personally, but I really focus on those two things when I'm in the middle of the game is I, I'll go back to the scenario three, four, five times just to make sure I'm doing everything correctly. And I'll pay attention to the time every like 15, 20 minutes. I'll look, see what I got. Even after end the end of each round, honestly, because I just don't want to be timed out and I need to be aware of how much time I have. Yeah, there was actually this thing we talked about before about the clock and how uh, as soon as you know your opponent and your table and you know that there is a clock somewhere in the room, you can just go straight to that table, get there first, position yourself in a way that you yep. uh, that you can always see the clock and your opponent can't. And then even if you lose the roll-off for, uh, for sides, chances are they'll still stay there on that side. Most people, yeah, most people want to be lazy and they, they've got their yeah. miniatures on that side of the table. They don't want to go all the way around and move them. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Especially, especially in events where, let's say, tables are packed in such a way that like, you would have to really walk around like 10 other tables in order to go on the other side. Then, 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 then you've picked your correct side, your best side, and then yay, there was a clock and the other player does, doesn't have it. So you sort of have an advantage there. Mm-hmm. I just, I mean, I'll be honest with you. After, after that tournament, I've just never not paid attention because that, that, that was just one of those things where that was, I'd say that was arguably one of my best tournaments I've ever had. So to lose out, on, there were 70 people at Nova. I could have finished third and I finished seventh. So it's like I was, I could have been the top three players at a 70-man tournament, which... Would have been pretty awesome for myself personally. Well, so it was really okay. upsetting after that. So I've kind of kept that in my head, not as like something to never let go of, but it's as a reminder to always do this thing of looking at the scenario and looking how much time's left, so I don't forget it. Well, just to, just to cheer you up, Tim. Whether you were third or seventh, you were not Rainier and you were not the champion. It <laughs> <laughs> must be some obscure English definition of the word cheer that yeah, uh, we're not familiar up, with. <laughs> The only yeah. thing I take away from that tournament is I was the only one who came close to beating Rainier. So I, I take That's that as true. like... And like, I stick he, to it when I say that was like the stressfulest game I've ever had. Like that that was like <laughs> so close. Like so close. No, Yeah, that I, I, I like how you said that though. Like know that because I've seen people like play Lords of Battle top table um, last, last round. I think this was last Nova and stuff. And if you know how the scenario works really well in combination with what your opponent's army does and how much it is, you can know to stay away from certain things. Remember, if you, if you kill a hero, you get a point of might back. Yeah, if you kill a hero, you get a point of might back. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like different Which things. Nobody, like, including me, ever remembers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like break your opponent and don't get break, broke, broke. Or different things. Like if you have a horde in Lords of Battle, and they don't have a horde. You're like, oh shoot, there's no way I can win. But there is. You just need to kill the 
kill the general and not break, um, which is very possible. So like, if you come up against a horde like that, keep have that have that in mind. Like, there's these different ways that they can win still, and try to mitigate that. Just know the scenario, basically what Tim said, like as much as possible. Um, Mick, your number two. Um, so, well, this is number two or number no. one, possibly. Um, essentially, uh, one thing that has always helped me to get better was to just know some amount of basic math behind the game. So, for example, the obvious thing is, okay, well, if you if you have your two Moria goblins and you fight against a Vault Warden team, you are probably not killing that Vault Warden team and your goblins are dying. But uh, in more uh, like in more common situations, like, like let's say uh, two warriors of Ministerius fighting against two elves or something like that, like if you if you do know the basic odds, like uh, which is something like uh, you don't have to know say forty two percent versus fifty eight percent sort of sort of thing. But like if you if you do know something like yeah, my guys are going to win 6 out of 10. My opponent's guys are going to win 4 out of 10. Therefore, this specific lineup is probably good for me over the course of the next 100 games. Uh, so, like, you always uh, should be trying to play for the long term. Because, um, essentially, in, in all dice games, um, there will always be an amount of luck involved. And so, sometimes, no matter how well you play, you're still going to lose. And so you have to be making uh, choices in games which are mathematically the most correct out of out of all of them. So uh, essentially, the correct play is usually going to be the one that gives you the highest chances of long-term winning. And so it's actually very good to just learn some basic things, like let's say, what are the odds of a hero with three attacks charging on a horse rolling a six? Or what are the odds of, um, say, an elf with a shield and a banner fighting against one one supported orc or or two supported orcs? Just so you know, in general, what you can expect to do, and still sort of have have decent odds at at winning, even though it might not seem like it's, uh, you're gonna have the decent odds. So yeah, I just I just would always advise everyone to just learn the basics at least and it's and, and like you don't you, you really don't have to be like oh yeah this guy has 16.666667% chance of rolling this you can just be like okay well it's probably better better odds than yours and that's usually sufficient so Mick what would you say are specific like a couple of basic things that you think people should know so for so the most common one, like let's say Mordor, for example, is, is, a, is a very common army, right? So uh, you should know that uh, if you have your modern orcs and you're striking against def uh, defense six with two dice, uh, you're going to be killing them 56% of the time. If you're striking against, uh, against defense four, for example, you're going to be killing them 75% of the time. And so... Uh, you should also know the odds of, let's say, winning a fight in a in a in a two v two against against, let's say, two elves or something like that. And gen generally, whether your line will overcome their line, just because there will just be so many situations where 
you're trying to position your heroes or your specific pieces into into the most uh, useful positions, but then the lines will still clash with other lines. And so you want to have an idea of like, will your line more likely beat your opponent line? And if and if it won't, then what should you be doing in long term anyway? So I guess one other thing to think about just as far as math goes, because because I don't know, I, I've never been one of those people who kind of crunches the numbers on things. But even if you're even if you're not, even if you're like me and you're you're math lazy, there's a couple things you can do to um, kind of improve your odds, right? And you know, as it make as you roll, correctly roll, pointed roll out, roll dice, for example. Yeah. Well, y- yes and no. That's actually what I'm going to get into. Um, so this is this is a game where luck matters, um, and when you want to try and maximize your chances of winning, you want to decrease the impact that luck is going to have in the game. Mm-hmm. And there's there's two ways to do that. <clears throat> um, one there there's high stakes rolls and there's low stakes rolls. And the low stakes roles are the ones where it's like, you know, individual warrior fighting individual warrior. And, you know, the, the outcome of that die roll is going to be, at, you know, probably like one guy is going to die. Um, and you're, you know, if, if you can get into a situation where you can, you know, get four guys fighting one, that's great. But in most circumstances, at least early on in the game, what you're going to get into is a whole bunch of situations where, you have a not so significant advantage. Like, you know, you've got a battle line that's fight four fighting a battle line that's fight three. Um, And in those circumstances, the way you have luck play as little role as possible in the game is to have as many of those roles as possible in situations where you have only a slight luck advantage. You want to maximize the number of times you're rolling those dice because the more times you roll it, the less chance that you're going to be at one side or the other of that bell curve. Um, And the more chance you're going to be in the middle and in the middle, the guy with the slight advantage is going to win. So for warrior and warrior fights, if you have a slight advantage, like it's fight four versus fight three, you want as many of those, you want to be rolling as many of those dice as possible um, because the odds are you're going to get success. The flip side of this coin is those like bet the game die rolls like, um, you know, Aragorn charges Bolg and they both heroic strike. Um, those are the ones where, you know, you get into those you know thing, situations that are, you know, either 50, 50 or, you know, 60, 40. And you want as few of those die rolls as possible because those are the, those are the, the die rolls that will decide the game. And by the way, you could end up in situations like, you know, if, if Azog is running rampant um, over the table where you just have to like, you have to commit everything and you, I, I mean, I, I played one of these games a couple of weeks ago where I had Azog running rampant and I basically had to commit every hero I had, including one guy with a, uh, with an elven blade, Legolas was in there. Um, and, you know, we both struck to, to fight 10, we both rolled the die. We both got to the six and then we rolled the die and it came up as a three, which I happened to win because I had the Elven blade, but that, that is a, that is a last ditch strategy that you want to use. And, you know, if you end up in, if you end up in one of those bet the game die rolls, the odds are that, you know, you have 
something has gone wrong with your strategy. And it could just be that you just ended up in a, in a situation where the army matchup was such that you had to commit to one of those to have a chance of winning the game. Yeah. But often what's gone on, and this is true with me too, as I find myself, I'm like, Oh shoot, I've made this mistake. What I need to do now is commit to one of these bet the game die rolls uh, to try and pull it out of the fire. Um, and like I said, if you're if you're trying to max if you're trying to minimize the impact that luck has in the game, get into those situations as little as possible, and instead get as many situations where you know you're rolling four dice, you have the higher fight value, and then you're going to kill your opponent if you win the combat. Yeah, there's there's actually uh, another a situation that gets quite common where if you're playing uh, something like uh, hold ground, I believe. Uh, uh, the one where you have to uh, get to the center and then the game might end on a roll of one, one or two. Sometimes there, are, there will be matchups where no matter what you do, uh, your opponent just is going to have such a huge advantage that the best thing you, you can do is just run to the center, hope you break, and hope that one or two gets rolled as soon as possible. And so uh, it's, it's one of those, those things where if you've really exhausted everything else and that's your best 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 bet to win the game then do it but you should but like you should really be trying to exhaust all of the other possibilities first rather than putting all of your be- uh, eggs into one basket yeah if that's your best bet then either you're paying it playing at a huge disadvantage from the start yeah. which sometimes happens or yeah. you know something's gone horribly wrong yeah yeah so 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 many times people are like oh my dice were unlucky it was horrible when you look at their game and it's like they literally did a 50-50 chance the whole game. Like Mike Matt said, stay away from that. Like, like not at all. Like only engage on your terms if you can. Yeah, that's the thing. I I, I just generally don't really believe that so many people are so unlucky all the time. Like <laughs> yeah. vast majority of the time, if you've lost, it's because of your own fault. <laughs> or just or you just got really badly outplayed. Remember, everybody. Probability isn't just a suggestion. It's the law. Mm -hmm. Uh, Matt, if you want to go over your number one. So it's always a 50-50. You either win or you (laughs) That's right. Um, Okay, so so I guess my my final strategy here, um, and I'm going to build on the other two, is so this is using heroic combats to reposition. uh, And this is something you, you... is generally, I mean, you can do it with any type of hero, but it's generally best done with either mounted or flying heroes. Um, and you know what you what you try and do is you try and find some enemy warrior, poor dumb enemy warrior that's kind of wandered out on its own, uh, or if you have a spellcaster or a um, you know or a, a uh, wood elf sentinel or or one of those other guys, you can force somebody to wander off on their own, and then you jump on it with. Uh, at least one hero and as many mounted guys as you can kind of stuff around that figure. Uh, you call a heroic combat and, you know, typically, yeah, you know, typically when you call a heroic combat, you're going to use it to charge into something else. Instead of that, you're going to take your mounted heroes and you're going to go to a different place, entirely different place on the board to basically change where your mass is. Um, and to give a concrete example, so say say we're we're using the mass economy of force strategy that I was talking about the last time around. So you, you've got you know your strong side and your weak side. The enemy has figured out where your strong side is, so they've taken their ball of death. 
uh, and they've moved it towards you know the left of the battlefield. Uh, what you do then is you try and find a warrior, get a warrior that's kind of toward toward the center of the left, and you jump on it with your your big hero and your mounted stuff. You call the heroic combat instead of going and fighting the ball of death. You take those guys and you send them ten inches toward the right side of the board, where your economy of force side is. Um, and then all of a sudden your mass has now switched from the left to the right. The enemy's stuck um, facing your guys on the left, which are now going to pull back and be an inch out of charge range so that he's got to either run them down or try and figure out what to do. Um, and you've got your mass now on your right to kind of run over whatever token force he's, he's put in your way. Um, a lot of people tend to get focused on either just doing heroic strikes or using heroic combats to try and kill like two more figures in a turn. And I, I mean, my personal thought is that the most effective use of heroic combat is to actually reposition so that um, your key figures get to some place. And it, it basically gives your key figures an extra move to get them someplace where your opponent didn't think they were going to end up. I totally agree with this. Yeah, I nice. use this all the time, actually. Like, um, I always visualize it as you're like a, a lion predator or something and you see like the herd going and there's like the youngin, you know, and then the lion like waits till the youngin's out, strikes it and then drags it away before the herd can go save it. Like that, that's what you do want to do because you want to get your advantage as any advantage in the battle in, in the battle. And I like, I spend might more often than I conserve it. Um, but I would spend my might to do that. If there's like two or three guys, boom, surround them, heroic combat, kill them all, and then like run away with, with a mega hero because right off the bat, it's like, and then you have someone like Aragorn or Boromir, and you're not really spending many resources to just kill three or four guys in the beginning of the game. I do it with Soladan too. Um, I think I failed it against you, Matt, at Nova when I tried to throw Soladan in and, and make him run back. And I like blew all his might, but that's worked before many times. I use it against um, the Lynn brother who I played at, at what's I'm gonna call it Nova two, um, not rich, but Charles, a, a Charles, Charles to where he had a nice Gondor in battle line. And I threw it on the side, the ones that didn't have shield wall with Soldan killed like two or three and then ditched. And it's like, okay, you're doing those little tiny things slowly, slowly. Um, whittling away the army without actually losing anything yeah and, and by the way this this tactic gets more and more effective the slower and slower your opponent's heroes are this is this is very effective by the way against dwarves um mm -hmm. because you know you got these 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 big tough dwarvish heroes that are you know kind of waddling along at five inches a turn and you can get them to commit to the left and then jump on poor hapless dwarf and then send all your mounted heroes over to the right <laughs> yeah that that dwarfish hero on the left is probably out of the game at that point other than you know chasing down and managing to kill you know whatever stray guys you've kind of left in his way yeah when storm colors used to be a thing i would i would always just like cast a one die uh call wins on just enemy heroes just be like okay well you're you're on the ground oh, you're not gonna move <laughs> <laughs> or like you're gonna move back six inches I, I had that happen to dane once that like put him out of the game for three turns <laughs> yeah i like I, it was like my favorite thing with storm colors maybe it was you that did it you jerk 
I just, I just, <laughs> did, I just did it across the ocean. Okay. Um, well, no, I was at Articon when it happened, so maybe it was. <laughs> oh. <you. laughs> okay, so my top one is kind of a combination of of what we've been discussing, um, but it is don't take any chances. Uh, back to the dice game, I just so many people. I think I can say one or two games that I've ever played. I can like legit blame on dice for losing. Mm. But in most situations, when I do lose, I have to think to myself, I put myself in a situation to where if I rolled bad, I lose. That is a bad position to put yourself into. Um, You always like what Matt was saying. You always want to go where you're going to win by percentage. Basically I'm bad at math also. I don't calculate anything, but I know for sure like, okay, boom, I'm going to have my resources in this side. They're not. Or you see these battle lines, uh, many people, they'll have like a really optimized warband, like like Blob and a not so optimized Blob. And they'll engage both. Like don't don't engage the non-optimized Blob. Like they're just going to die to whatever. So yeah, I would say don't take chances in that aspect. Um, whittle down your opponent and uh, mitigate their strength in the sense that just don't, don't play to their strengths. Don't let them play their strengths in a way. Um, I look at back at it historically speaking. You can have tanks and stuff, but it's like, okay, no, I'm gonna fight you in the jungle. Like that's not really gonna matter. Or different skirmish guerrilla warfare things show that too. So yeah, that's how I play. If I see Boromir, I'm like, sweet. I'm trying to force you. If I can't, I'm just gonna not even touch you get away from you when mick and i played our battle last episode the same situation like here comes this ball of death i can engage it but i know i'm gonna lose i'm just not gonna touch it um so yeah that's what i would say don't don't take any chances even those micro chances with like throwing models like warriors into things like no like don't even don't even waste warriors to basically like shield walls like wait till you can fight on your own terms basically See, that's what I what I say. What my top unless point. unless fighting in a shield wall is fighting on your own terms, which you know, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. For example, Iron Hills. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what they want to do. Yeah, yeah but Hills but if, if you go up against down. Iron Hills and you have like low defense, like just don't even engage it. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. try not to like try to escape it. Yeah. Or even yeah. um, if you have Iron Hills, don't go all skirmish because then you'll do what Matt was talking about. You just broke combat pick them off like one by one or something hmm. and escape and whatnot so yeah play on your own terms don't and it's it's kind of of course when you're playing like with friends or something or at a local tournament like you like play for fun but if it's a competitive tournament just don't let your opponent have fun with what they brought <laughs> that's how you win the game <laughs> they brought these certain tools to have fun with them and synergize them as long as you're not letting them do that you're going to be okay <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's a good general rule you're not here to have your make your opponent have fun yeah yeah because they'll be like i brought this like, all these monsters i can't believe i like, just said that my wife's gonna kill me when she hears that, that. <laughs> that should be like the yeah, monster underneath like the, the the dchl you're not here to have fun <laughs> yeah we're here to have fun but your opponent should never have fun uh, no all right so let, let, let us amend that Everybody, when we're playing, I mean, this is a game that's played with the toy soldiers. Everybody is here to have fun. You should help. You should arrange it, however, so that you have a little more fun than your opponent does. However, <laughs> I have to. I have to add. Fun is is a very subjective thing. 
That is true. It's, like, it's real. Like for example, my cat likes to play with a, with uh, with some sort of a string. I don't necessarily like playing with a string. Like my 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 cat find, finds it fun, and I don't. So, yeah. Yeah, like your opponent might like have fun heroic combating with Boromir and Aragorn. Yeah, well, you might I, not I, think that's fun. So, like, you just stay really away from. <laughs> So I think the takeaway from this is that Mick should not bring his cat to an SBG tournament. I, I think that's the clear lesson here. All right. Um, so we'll move into my last tip. Um, again, sounds simple, but has worked dramatically in, in making myself better is uh, think ahead of time. So specifically think ahead of all options. So for example, if I'm going to move, let's say, Suladan into this position, uh, does my opponent have the, the capability of pro combating into Suladon and getting me in a bad position? Um, does it make sense for me to move Suladon here, knowing that he could lose this and this? Um, the more options you can think of before moving a model, as much as that might kind of be like, you know, you're not playing in a in a direct way, you're you're, you're overthinking it. I don't think it's a bad idea to, to compromise between the two. And yes, you don't want to be overthink things, but at the same time, you want to consider all options while playing. So you want to know that if I put this here, guess what? If Aragorn and um, Kieran call a hero combat, they could both get into me and take out Suladon in one turn, only using two points of might. And you know, do I have to preemptively call a heroic strike, waste a point of might, knowing that you know I, it, it fends off Aragorn or you know something like that? Uh, I just think the more options you're able to consider, the better off you are going forward into the game, knowing that there's a good chance they could do this or this, and I'm prepared to deal with it because I've done this and this. Um, it, that, that, that for me is, has always been a great thing um, towards the beginning of when I found, when I kind of thought of doing that. And the more options you consider, I think the better off you get. You guys have anything, anything else to say about that? So I, I mean, put yourself in a situation to where you have options mm -hmm. and they don't have as many options. Yeah. There are always going to be situations, by the way, though, where you move to figure somewhere and then you, um, you realize after the fact that you have made a horrible mistake. Um, that's, that's always going to happen. Uh, uh, and, but if that happens, by the way, um, do not then tell your opponent that you've made a horrible mistake. <laughs> If, if you are going to screw up, screw up with confidence, um, because I, I can't tell you how many times this happened, by the way, that I've moved someplace and I've just realized after I've done it, that it's a horrible decision. And, you know, I've saved myself by just looking at the opponent and going, hmm? Hmm? and yeah. you know, he's wondering at that point, what I know that he doesn't. And what I know that he doesn't is that I've screwed up <laughs> and, uh, uh, and, you know, and, and, and he will often, you know, just, just not, you know, he, he'll think that, that, that figure that I've left out there horribly exposed is just bait for some trap that he hasn't contemplated yet. And he will not take it. Um, and so well, it's like it, the mind game concept, right? Yeah, it, it is. So <laughs> do not tell your opponent when you have made a mistake and do not signal it in any way. And yeah, sometimes and occasionally you'll pull it on. Don't, don't tell your opponent when they made a mistake too. Because so much of this game is, like you said, Matt, body language and like yep. facial expression stuff. Like when my opponent starts to make mistakes, sometimes I like 
look a little uneasy. And they're like, ooh, here we go. And I'm like, ooh, here we go. <laughs> like, yeah. You but have to like do those little like, like, oh, uh, like play. There, there's a little mantra that I have too on the flip side of this coin, which is don't interrupt an opponent when he's making a mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, that is, that is true. When your opponent makes a mistake, you do not telegraph that. You just kind of like sit there and continue to stroke your chin, just like you were doing before he, he made the mistake. And instead, show your opponent when he has made a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> show him why um but don't tell him <laughs> yeah i had this game at Articon actually a couple, couple of years ago where uh i set up this this incredible move with uh with my saruman my opponent had this uh i think it was undying on fell beast and i pre-measured everything then he pre-measured everything then i pre-measured then we both called heroic moves then i won the roll off i was so happy I kept pre-measuring, then I moved my Saruman, then I kept measuring something, and then I realized that I actually moved my Saruman in the wrong place. But I just kept going, and I just kept measuring, measuring, measuring. And then once I passed the turn, he was just standing there, so confused, like... (laughs) (laughs) What just happened? (laughs) I don't know what's happened. And so he he was standing there, he was thinking, like, what what am I actually trying to do? This is is so different than everything that... (laughs) That we that, that either of us maybe have planned, but then he still end up just doing the correct thing and almost winning the game. So yeah, I mean there are there are plenty of situations in this game, you know, particularly when you get into like heroic moves and heroic combats and who can fit in where and who can fit in where three steps ahead after this guy's won a heroic combat and what's the order of operations in moving the figures. That I mean th- these can be like brain breaking problems. And you're right. I mean, occasionally you can get in a situation where you think it all, it's all planned out, but instead, you know, it's all going to go horribly wrong. And you, that's the exact right thing is to not show your opponent that it's all going to go hor- horribly wrong um, until, until it actually happens. And then you can kind of spin it into, well, that was my plan all along. <laughs> now, I'm not, I'm not advising this, of course, but there is a kind of thing to it where if you do something too obviously bad it almost makes your opponent like you said rethink it and go why is he doing that and mm-hmm. it kind of changes the way that they're thinking it doesn't always and i'm not saying it'll work out but i mean there are moments where i've played games where um somebody's done something where i go why, why did you do that and then next thing i know I'm, I'm i'm thinking like for the next minute why is he doing this and then you know maybe you end up taking advantage of it but it made you it really puts you on your heels of like, why did he do this? Yeah. Chances are he did it because he's really bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Chances are they did on that. Well, maybe, but you know, it was still one of those things. Or where, he just you know, made a mistake. Yeah, I'm not saying that you <laughs> yeah. do the, the bad thing. But, but if, you, if you're, if you're on the but I'm simply saying that, you know, there are times <laughs> where something like that does throw you off. Yeah. yeah. That's true. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I get, I mean, one of the things about this is even when you're playing a good player, even good players make mistakes. Yeah. And just because you see something that looks dumb, but a good player has done it, doesn't mean that it's not dumb. Yeah, it's always still is dumb. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But like, that's the that's the whole idea behind uh, behind the whole game. And you know, like, it's not it's not the player who plays better that wins. It's the player that makes more mistakes that loses. Yeah. Well, it. I mean, the, the saying is that the winner in chess is the person who makes the second to last mistake. Yeah. And I think that's probably true in SBG as well. Same, same here. Uh, anyway, well, so uh, since I, uh, the theme of my advice was 
advice outside of gaming and outside of the table. Uh, and Tim has left conveniently. Uh, my final thought was going to be uh, nutrition advice. Strategy mm -hmm. on nutrition. Make sure you eat well. Make sure you're not hungry. Make sure you go to the bathroom. Make sure you do all of the things which so often during tournaments you will forget to do. Like there will be there will be situations where like you're having the toughest game of your life, and you are like you're basically forgetting about everything else. You're not drinking anything. You're then going to time. Then the round ends. They collect results. Five minutes later, you have to be playing the next game. It's not it's not a tough game, and by just not keeping yourself. Um, hydrated and not and not keeping yourself fed you end up just getting weaker 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 throughout the day to the point where actually you're making mistakes because because you're just tired because you're just not like you're just in a, in a worse physical condition at that time than your opponent is and so like uh chances are if i had like if i show up in the morning having had breakfast and and a coffee I will definitely play much, much better than on like game four or five of the same day. Like game four is just going to be super sloppy. Like there was actually another example where also at Arlecon, um, I, was, I was supposed to play against David Reed and I actually didn't realize that there was supposed to be a fourth round that day. So I had already packed my models. I already took them upstairs to my hotel room <laughs> And then suddenly announcement, well, the fourth fourth round pairings are, are actually on the board. Oh <laughs> so, <laughs> so I had to check again. Oh, okay, I'm playing Gay David. Oh yeah, my, my, my army is actually upstairs in my room. <laughs> I had to run, get it, unpack, check again what the scenario was. He was already there. He was the person first at the table. He was probably in like a better position already. Uh, he was probably facing the clock already. He was doing all the right, all the right things, and I was just like completely out of it. I got crushed twelve nil. Uh, yeah, so just just make just make sure you're in the right state of mind. That is that is great advice. Um, <laughs> probably the best advice so far. Just I, I mean, <laughs> I mean, especially by the way, as you get older. Um, I, I think by the way, I'm I'm probably older than any other two hosts on this podcast right now combined no, um, i got the benjamin button disease yeah <laughs> uh, um and you know boy when you're when you're in your late 40s um you know your ability to continue to play that fourth game at a tournament um is significantly less than when you were in your late 20s and in particular if you were up late the night before um so yeah, you you really need to make sure that you're eating between each round and make sure that you're drinking between each round. Um, and actually, my my wife's role at these these tournaments um, used to be, you know, back when my son was much younger, it was it was much more important to kind of keep the the blood sugar level up for him. So you know, making sure that that he and then I had had snacks. Now that you know my son is is older now and can you know eat his own snacks her function has become more and more making sure that Devin has enough food when he's at a tournament. 
um, because he's famous for just like not eating (laughs) during during an entire tournament. And, you know, there have been times when my wife has had to like follow him around and make sure that he eats. Um, But uh, yeah, that's 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 definitely critical. It, it is very, I mean, Matt and I can use this as an example. When we played at Nova, the fourth round, like literally, I remember maybe like a quarter, like <laughs> we were so zonked, like, and exhausted. I think we, it was what, retrieve the prize or whatever. I'm tired yeah. of talking about it, but seize the prize. And like, we just played the middle game. We had like our hordes at each side and we were like, we just can't handle this. Like, let's just focus here. Like, just, it's fine. It's fine. They're not going to do anything. Let's just focus. I remember there was, there was like one rules question we had, and it was like a critical rules question because it was like whether somebody could get in to seize the prize. And we, you know, we, we were looking back and forth at the books and we got the ref over and finally we made a call and we're done with it. And we're like, Oh, screw it. Let's just roll the die. <laughs> you know, by the end of that, we could we could try and unravel all of this, but <laughs> but it's late. <laughs> it, it was rough, but but it does too. Like back to like get there beforehand to know the boards. Like no, like look around at the boards before the game before the tournament starts or anything, so you know. Like ah, oh, interesting. Like I know what this board looks like. Um, what kind of yeah? So just do those those big things. But yeah man coffee you need it <laughs> yeah well that's why you're doing i think the starbucks endorsement yeah, well. yeah, this the right here, they actually, yeah. They, they contacted me they're like i know you guys get 12 viewers an episode and that's a lot for you nerds so i'm gonna like give you 12 cents per viewer so i'm probably gonna make a dollar today nice that's so, right the so- unexpected podcast brought to you by starbucks and best buy best buy <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and and liquid death and liquid death and then the heavy metal mute starts playing no we we, we get like a border underneath like our names like a bunch of sponsors this will be a thing now yeah i know yeah and and then we just wait for the cease and desist letters to roll in (laughs) we we, we purposely misspell them so that it looks like we're sponsoring them but we're not really and then we're like oh gosh you want to sponsor us um all right so that was our uh, top three. Let us know in the comment section what your top three would be or if you have any different ones um, from us. Uh, let us know as well any lists you'd like for us to review. And we will be doing another Q&A coming up shortly. So leave any questions you have for that as well. And uh, we look forward to seeing you guys next week. Bye. Bye.